You're listening to Talking Tricks, the home of amazing stories from magic, circus, variety and comedy performers. Hello and welcome to Talking Tricks, a podcast with Cain and Abel, two magicians with the exact same voice. We are getting well and truly into the Christmas spirit today with Talking Miracles. That's right, we're not talking tricks, we are talking miracles and the reason that we all celebrate Christmas, the miracles of Jesus. Now I know what you're thinking, but is this going to be uber godly? Is this going to be too preachy? Do I want to listen to this? You do want to listen to this. Let me nail my cards to the wall straight away. I am not a Christian, I am not a religious person, but I thought if we were going to do any podcast before Christmas, then we should really look at the story of a man who has inspired so many magicians. Think about any of the biggest, most famous magicians you want to in the world, and they were inspired by the story of some of the miracles of Jesus Christ. So I wanted to find out a little bit more about that. So joining us in a minute is the man of mischief, Mark Watson. He is a Christian and he is also a magician. So he was the perfect person to talk to for this. Mark joins us in a minute, but before then, if I don't get a chance to talk to you before the big day, let me just say Merry Christmas to all our listeners here on Talking Tricks. In fact, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And of course, give us a rate and review and a share on social media, but make sure you subscribe to the podcast because there might be some more special festive pods dropping in over the festive period and whether you're traveling home for Christmas, traveling back from that final gig, maybe you're sat in the office job, waiting for the clock to run down, having a little listen to something whenever and however you listen to Talking Tricks. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the pod. Uh, I'm about, we're about to head off and do our final gig of the festive period. Cain uh, and Abel will be performing the Hunter Boots store again. They have a fantastic Christmas campaign which is all based around magic and magicians and the, the kind of tagline is the most magical time of the year and they've taken inspiration from a lot of illusions and tricks for their imagery so I would say check out the Hunter Boots Christmas campaign see uh, see some of the amazing things that they've done inspired by magicians but let's get into it now and let's join Mark Watson on Talking Tricks Talking Miracles. The number one podcast for great stories from the world of magic, circus, comedy and variety. You're listening to Talking Tricks. Joining us now on Talking Tricks, or should I say Talking Miracles, is the uh, international man of mischief, Mark Watson. Bloody him again. How many times now is this? Oh, this is the this is the third one, but we have we have others planned. I think for the future. So uh, who knows? Could be could be loads. Could yeah. Be loads. Look, Mark's not going to give you his whole biography today. Go back and listen to the episode. Oh, we're not we're not doing that again. Not the whole oh, thing. Okay. No, not the whole thing. Um, just tell us about the time you lost your hair. The time I lost my hair. <laughs> oh well, that was that was very. Uh, I, I have no magical story for that. I make, I make jokes about it on my show, but uh, seriously, going bald at twenty-one is not fun for anyone. When were you last ID'd? When was I? I've never been ID'd. I mean, partly that's because I don't drink alcohol, so I very rarely buy it. Do you know, I was in the supermarket uh, yesterday buying mulled wine for my girlfriend, um, and I was at the self-checkout, 
And when I came to pay now, it was like, oh, someone's coming to assist you. And I genuinely had no idea why someone had to come and check my shopping. And then she was like, oh, it's because of the mold wine. It's like, oh, I just never, I've never thought. Uh, but no, I've, I've literally never been ID'd, uh, ever. Mm. Well, Mark joins us today to talk the miracles of Jesus as it's Christmas. That's right. Here, it's Christmas. The, you know, probably the original magician, the original trickster. Oh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'd go that far, though. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, we, well, we thought... Well, you're doing really well for topical podcasts at the minute, because uh, I've, I've just listened to your political one uh, with TNN. That was really good fun. Thank and you. so, obviously, as we're approaching Christmas, uh, we're going to do one about Jesus. Um, can, I, can I kick us off with a, a small disclaimer at the very start? I've got a disclaimer Okay, well. you give the disclaimer Yeah, first. you do yours first. Um, and then you can do yours. And then you can choose whether to keep them both. Or yeah, yeah, one yeah. Out. That's yeah. Up to you. So this is what I'm going to say. Um, this is not a, by any means a, an anti-religious, jokey, jokey podcast. But maybe it's not a pro-religion, shoving it down your throat podcast either. My history, my background, um, my older brother is a vicar. So as a result, I have a, uh, a great respect uh, for those that follow the Christian faith, even though I am not one of those people. Mark, a Christian, joins us today to tell us what the Bible tells us about the miracles of Jesus. That's, that's very similar to what my disclaimer was going to be. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that the, the, what we're talking about today is the, uh, the biblical character of Jesus, uh, someone that you can go back to the Bible and, and reference to. Uh, if you're a non-believer out there, I'm not trying to convert you in any way from, from this episode. If you are a believer out there, I'm also not saying that Jesus was a magician. Uh, all I'm doing is making some parallels here to what we do as, as magicians um, from some interesting stories from the Bible and from what Jesus did. I think that's a fair disclaimer. I think... Hopefully that will stop any complaint letters, but it might lead to all the complaint letters. We'll see. To be honest, I'd quite appreciate a letter, so you know, that's fine. Angry Anglicans would have turned off already. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Normally I get people to kind of do a quick overview, um, even if they've been on the podcast before, of kind of who they are performer-wise, sure. but a two-pronged approach. For those that haven't listened to the, the Man of Mischief, Mark Watson episode, they might want to do that before listening to this, they might want to do it afterwards. Just give us a uh, quick overview of you are, and then also give us the qu a quick kind of overview of when you discovered the, the Christian faith, if it was a sort of, you know, family thing, or, or if there was sure. a defining moment. Yeah, so, yeah, my name's Mark Watson, I'm the Man of Mischief. Uh, I am a professional magician and juggler. I've been full-time for about 18 months or so. If you go back and listen to the podcast we did before, you'll learn that uh, I actually had a past life as an accountant, as a banker, um, and I did that for five years and then decided to jack it all in and, and come and do this. And now uh, I earn a lot less money, but I'm a lot happier for it. So uh, that's that's kind of my little story as a performer. Um, as, a, as a Christian, as a, a churchgoer, um, my family uh, went to church, so I was sort of brought up into the Christian faith uh, and sort of properly decided to become a Christian myself when I was about 12, 13 years old. Um, and since then I've just always been involved in the life of the church. I think it's, it's great for community. I had a lot of friends through that and stuff as well. Um, it's, uh, it's a good way to keep busy on a Sunday. I know a lot, it's weird. I have a, a, a wonderful divide of friends that, um, so many of them use Sundays as their sort of their down day. They'll have a nice long lie-in, they'll have a quiet day, they might go for brunch and that's something. Um, Sundays for me have always been some of the, the busiest days for me and, and, um, getting involved with lots of things. And also, uh, as a teenager and through to university, uh, I used to do a lot of children's work with churches as well, so that opened me up to different performance opportunities. I used to use magic and juggling to um, entertain the kids, but also to, to teach lessons or morals or that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it's just been a great 
opportunity for me over the years and, and I'm still uh, I'm still very active I'm, I'm part of uh, HDB Holy Trinity Brompton which meets at South Kensington here in here in London so lovely and I suppose to start a story from a beginning then people will be celebrating Christmas next week I think by the okay. time this comes out well this will certainly be I mean close to Christmas people will be celebrating Christmas but you know it, it's the it's the birth of Jesus, really, that they're celebrating. What's the kind of, I suppose, Christian message yeah. um, about about the birth of, of Jesus and, and why we celebrate Christmas? Sure. Uh, first of all, I love the fact that you're picking up on the fact that Christmas is like next week. You know, a lot of places, like QI, for example, do you know their Christmas special is recorded like in March? Yeah. The year before, it's like nine months early. Uh, and, of course, um, and, and some podcasts... People will, you know, record episodes months and months in advance, and they have to be really careful. We're being really current here. I mean, we are already in the middle of December. I got the tree on the Christmas. You've got the tree up. This properly feels like a Christmas special, uh, so I'm loving it. I think this is great. Good. Um, yeah. So let's start at the beginning. So obviously, uh, Christmas is uh, traditionally all about the birth of Jesus, um, and uh, it's a couple of interesting things around that story. Obviously. Uh, the, the most miraculous thing is that he was born of a virgin, of the Virgin Mary. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I guess the thing I took away from that is that it's not only did Jesus perform miracles, according to the Bible, you know, that, but also it's even a miracle that he's even here, because how, how can you be born of a virgin? And I kind of took the parallel of that to, to magicians. Um, so a lot of magicians, when they, they start a show, for example, especially if you go see a, a live show, um, a lot of them will start with an appearance. They don't just sort of walk out onto stage all the time. They will come with some sort of appearance. And you kind of want this person to be magical. You want this person to be, wow, it's even, it's impressive that they're even here. It's not just that they, they walked out onto the stage and, yeah, we're going to do some tricks. But I thought of some uh, sort of cross examples of that. So um, certainly my favourite magician, and a lot of magicians, number one, uh, would be Paul Daniels, especially in this country. Um, you know, big inspiration to us. But if you ever went to see him live, sure, you'd get the little voiceover, you know, please welcome to the stage, Paul Daniels. But uh, I don't remember him, perhaps back more back in his heyday, but certainly in the later years, he would just walk out and it would be a nice, friendly introduction and I'm going to do some tricks to you. Um, and I guess that comes down to what sort of character you play as a magician. I mean, there, there are people that talk about this stuff a lot better than, than I would. Uh, people like Jeff McBride, Eugene Berger have, have gone into sort of... Um, the different theories of magic. I always saw myself a bit like Paul Daniels as a, a trickster. So I come out onto stage and I'm, I'm having fun with my audience. I like to use comedy as much as I can. Um, but I, what I'm doing is very much tricks. And they can fool people and they can amaze people. I don't think anyone comes from any of my shows and my performance necessarily thinking that I have magical powers or that I can perform miracles. They don't think I'm a healer or anything like that. Um, but there is definitely an angle and there are some magicians and some performers that go out there and definitely want their audiences to think that they are miraculous human beings, that they have special powers, that they have, um, that they're able to do these incredible things. And there's just different angles there looking at that. I mean, I, I, I've seen you guys perform, Ken and Abel, so some of your shows. Again, I would think because you, you lean more towards comedy magic and that sort of things, again, I'd say you're, you're perhaps more the trickster side of things. I don't think you introduce yourselves as, as sort of wizards or as, as godly people or as, you know, but you do crazy, clever things, and, and that's what entertains people. So yeah, and it was just something that I took away from it, that some, some magicians will come out there and their their appearance, however magical, will be the big thing at the start of the show. But for others of us, we're, we're clearly normal people doing fun, interesting things. Yeah. So obviously, um, a miracle within himself with, mm. with the birth, but when was the first 
documented account of Jesus performing a miracle. Sure. So um, you have to, the, the story of Jesus really covers over the, the four main gospel books. So Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Um, funnily enough, I have, a, I have a preference for the book of Mark just because it's my namesake. But also it's the shortest of all of them. So if you want a sort of the briefest story of Jesus, you can read that in about an hour and a half, two hours if you go all the way through. Um, but the, uh, the first recorded miracle... There's a couple of picture books in the works as well, I think. <laughs> there is also... Uh, you can get through those in, a, in about 30 seconds. quicker. You can also... Uh, there's also a limerick Bible you can buy. I'm pretty sure that's a much quicker version of Jesus' story. Possibly with some rude limericks in the middle. I don't know. Excellent. I've never read it. Um, <laughs> Judas! <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first recorded miracle is uh, one that most people will have heard of, turning water into wine. So uh, Jesus was an adult at this point, um, but he hadn't uh, he hadn't particularly started his, his ministry yet, or, or the sort of um, everyone sort of talks about he, he he did a few interesting things, and the Bible talks about a few things that he did up till about the age of thirty. But really, all the the stories that we talk about, all the things that we know about, mainly happened between the age of thirty and thirty three when he was he was crucified. Um, so this was kind of at the at the start of that. So he'd be a, aged around thirty, uh, and he was at a wedding. He was at a wedding, and uh, annoyingly, they had run out of wine. Um, so a very practical thing, Jesus went, oh, you've run out of wine, it's fine. Look, the six, uh, the, um, uh, what did he use for this? He uh, used like uh, stone jars. So he had six large stone jars and he told the servants, go, fill those stone jars up with water. So they filled them up to the brim with water and then he was like, right, now take them to the head of the party. So he took one of the jars to the head of the party. Uh, the person scooped out what was originally the water, tasted it, um, and it was wine. And not only was it wine, but um, the head of the party said, you know, most people, they, um, they use their, their best wine at the very start of the party and they're sort of, they're left with the dregs at the end. But uh, this is the first party I've known and you said that you have brought me the best wine for the very end. So not only was it wine, it was the best wine they had ever tasted. Um, yeah, and so this was, this was that, that first miracle. And there's a couple of things that I'd take out of this. Um, interesting that he used assistants. You know, he was, you can, if, if, you, if you were to imagine this as a stage magic trick for yeah. example it'd be like six stone jars you'd have six assistants and they'd all be there filling up the water and be like and showing the audience you know as they they go around showing the empty jars and then filling it up with water you'd get an audience member to to try the water and all of a sudden it's turned into wine so i can almost see this as a stage trick it is somewhat less impressive than it, it would be out in the real world i feel but um yeah so and, and it's filling up with wine but also the fact that uh, it's a it's a very practical trick like it came from it almost feels like all the Dynamo and David Blaine tricks should feel, that they feel spontaneous and feel... Unfortunately, the way it's sort of edited with TV, it feels like David Blaine rocked up to a situation and went, oh, you need some coconut milk. Here, choose a coconut, any coconut. Oh, what's that? It's not milk inside, it's a whatever. Um, you know, it just feels very put on. But in, in Jesus' case, it was literally... He wasn't, he wasn't even called upon, he was just like... He was just hanging out, he was just there, and it's like, oh, the wine's run out. And his mum sort of said, did you hear that, Jesus? The wine's run out. And it's like, oh, fine, okay, go, go get your six jars, go get your six jars. Um, and it's also the fact that everybody else did everything, according to the description. You know, the, the servants went and filled the water up, he went and got someone else to check. At no point did Jesus have to do some dodgy sleight of hand to try and switch that water or that wine. Um, so yeah, it was just, again, I'll, I'll restate my caveat at the start. Not calling Jesus a magician, I'm saying if a magician was to do this, we'd have to do lots more dodgy things around this to try yeah. and make this work. And who was he at this point? Was he um, wildly believed to be the son of God? Or was he just, uh, you know, the well, charismatic guy in the corner? I mean, I'll, I, 
Because I imagine he was charismatic. <laughs> I think no, there are different there are different descriptions throughout the Bible. I think I think a lot of the time he was quite quiet and calm and humble. Or certainly that's how that's how a lot of the sort of TV representations of Jesus are. Sort of this this guy always always a very pale white guy for for the country that he came from and uh, long flowing blonde hair and just being very almost a bit like a hippie really. So I'm not sure how true or accurate that was. Um, so at this point. I wouldn't say he was widely, re uh, to be honest, so I wouldn't say he was widely recognised as the Son of God for quite a while after his his crucifixion and resurrection, whatnot. So, um, but there was definitely he definitely had followers. He had disciples at this point, um, and he was he was well known ever since being a kid. He he spent a lot of time in the temple, and he would um, he would listen to the Jewish teachers, and and um, uh, he, he clearly knew stuff. He knew he knew more than a lot of the Jewish teachers for for a start. So he clearly he'd, he'd memorised. Um, Old Testament at that point, um, and uh, yeah, so he was he was definitely recognised as being something interesting, something special, and had these disciples, these followers that, that were, were going on with him. Um, in terms of yeah, in terms of building up his big following, it didn't really happen at that point. That kind of comes a little bit later on, but then even more so. I mean, even now you wouldn't say like a you couldn't say that a majority of the world follows Jesus. I don't, I don't know the exact percentages. I, I think um, I think it's roughly. A third of the world identifies as Christian, a third as Muslim, and about a third is everything else, roughly, I think. Um, someone will go and Google that and, and complain into the show, but that's okay. It's angry, angry. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's get the scepticism out of the way, straight away. Yeah. Um, is, I'm, I'm sure people have kind of said to you in the past, how do we know he wasn't just a guy doing a trick? Sure. Oh, you want that's, to that's my question. That's yeah. it. Um, how do we know? Well, uh, I guess it, it boils down to um, the evidence that is out there, and um, some people may may disagree with this. I think there is there is definitely um, there is so much written evidence out there of the life of Jesus. There are so many um, examples that the uh, the Bible is one of the oldest texts that we have that um, still has a lot a lot of backing, a lot of evidence. If you go as far back, uh, things like I know a, a good example to compare is. Um, Things like the the Ulysses and some of the old Greek texts and whatnot that we that I mean I learned in English class and, and we still learn. Um, if you look at, for example, the last surviving copy of that, the sort of oldest surviving copy of that, it's often hundreds, if not thousands, of years after it was supposedly written and, and the original. Um, when it comes to the Bible, I mean, we have we still have a, original texts of that original versions, not from bang on the the exact date, but within like a hundred years. I mean, and and these gospels were all written. Again, not at the exact time of it happening, but within a few years, within sort of 20, 30 years, some of them. Um, and so to look back, there's a lot of written evidence out there. There's also, for some of the things in the Bible, there are um, people totally outside the biblical world that were, were atheists that didn't want to believe, but um, definitely commented on things like um, at the time when Jesus was crucified, at the point when he, he died, there was... Um, supposedly a, a solar eclipse and um, things like the uh, the curtain of the temple was torn at that very point and, and whatnot. Um, and there are various uh, teachers, non-religious teachers at that point, that talked about there being a solar eclipse around that time. So I think that the timing of things and, and some stuff like that is definitely believable. Um, and in terms of the, uh, the four Gospels, there are some of these stories that appear in just one of the Gospels. So again, you have to... But, but not all the Gospels are complete. They didn't do a full chronology. They didn't talk about what he was doing as a 12-year-old and there's, you know, there's details missing from all of them. But some of these stories are covered by three or four of the, the Gospels um, and they bring in 
new details from from each. But um, yeah, so some some of them can certainly be more believable than than not. Um, it's always hard though with first person accounts, and, and uh, unfortunately we know as as magicians that um, what people perceive and what actually happens can be quite tricky. I think one or two of the miracles that we're going to talk about though. Uh, if, if as is written is is what happened, um, and you choose to believe that or not, uh, but if as is written is what happened, then you you can't refute that something miraculous happened. Just the, the pure facts of what they're saying happened here. I mean, I, I would argue, um, I don't know as a magician, a method for, if, if literally six servants got six stone jars, filled them up with water, they then took them to the head of the party without Jesus having touched or... or like, I wouldn't really have a clue as a magician how you would do it, unless you had some very fast fermenting water or something in there. But, like, I, I don't know. I've, um, interestingly, within churches and things, I've performed one or two versions of some of these miracles that, I will say now, are very weak-ass versions of these miracles. Um, for example, the uh, turning water into wine, um, I would pour water into a cup that I've had to cover with newspaper in order to uh, cover up some of the methodology. And then I'd pour it back out, um, and it was supposed to have turned to wine at that point, but it didn't, because it didn't quite work as well as I thought. So it's like, oh, so I poured the liquid back into the cup, give it a bit of a swirl, and then it came out as some very weak Ribena, <laughs> which a child then tasted and was like, yes, yes, it is Ribena. Miracle of miracles. <laughs> um, we were very quick to, to obviously inform the kids that what I'd done is, is far from a miracle. Um, namely namely the, the covering of the cup and everything. It was just, it was, just, it was dodgy as. But, um, but it, it helped sort of illustrate the story and teach the story. And if, if I can only do it very poorly in a very half-assed way and by covering all these things up, um, what Jesus did, if it is as written, surely is a, is a miracle. And to produce so much of it as well. Now I know you've got some, uh, some of the lesser known um, miracles that I suppose um, non-Christians would be as familiar with. Um, but let's talk about, about some of the other big hitters okay. uh, that, that people will know. Um, and I, I don't actually know if you kind of want to do it in a sort of chronological order, if you have that, as in, you know, after water into wine, you know, what was the next sort of miracle that we saw Jesus doing? Um, or, or whether you just want to kind of rattle off some of the, some of the biggies and kind of let us know um, sort of the timing that that happened. Sure, but well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go through them all. If you if you Google Jesus miracles, uh, generally they they class about 37, about 37, 38 miracles in there. In terms of what they class, a lot of them don't class the resurrection, which we'll talk about as a as a miracle as such. It's something slightly different. So it's it, it's a bit it's a little bit vague as to what you class as as miracle. So with um, birth and resurrection not fall into the thirty seven. No, but then we've got those two. Other you've got those two as extras and stuff as well. So those bookends. Yeah. So so I think you're talking around forty, and we're not. Uh, we we don't have four hours for this podcast, although I'm sure your listeners would love that. Um, no, we're we're just gonna pick out some of it. So I guess another big hitter. We'll say we'll say Jesus' platinum record here. I would say as well on the big things uh, was the feeding of the five thousand. Now a lot of people know this story. But broadly speaking, Jesus was uh, speaking. Also, uh, uh, important to point out that um, we always say feeding of the 5,000, um, but the Bible, because it was uh, old and slightly misogynistic, um, those 5,000 were just the men, right? And it does actually say in the Bible, five, feeding the 5,000 plus women and children. Uh, so those, those weren't even counted. So if we assume each man had at least 12 wives, and <laughs> then that's actually quite a lot of people. I, I don't know what was the case uh, necessarily back then, but um, we, we can elaborate that actually it was a lot more people back then. Mm. And they basically all come out for a picnic. They all wanted to hear Jesus speak. I mean, 
how how Jesus was able to be heard without a Bose S1 Pro and a Sennheiser headset mic, I don't know. I mean, I, I struggle for more than two or three hundred people without those. But um, yeah, he was he was out there speaking, and it had been a long day, and um, he was out speaking in a. I mean, I guess uh, you could elaborate it too, like in the middle of a park in London. Why um, was he speaking? Why was he speaking? Yeah. Because um, the uh, the the he was speaking out basically against the. Uh, the Roman Empire at the time, but also against um, the, uh, the the Jewish way at the time, and the fact that the the Jews um, the Jews were still stuck in this sort of old traditional way, and that actually um, Jesus brought the sort of um, new teaching from God in a way, and, and sort of um, refreshed things a little bit, I guess. And the the, um, the Jewish teachers at the time uh, very much saw it as a, a threat to their authority and a threat to to see what was going on. Um, so yeah, but he was speaking to people, mainly because people wanted to listen. I mean, there are people at uh, Speaker's Corner in London uh, every weekend, and, and people are listening to them all the time. There's a, there's a weird guy in uh, in like a Roman Emperor outfit, and he's, he's basically talking anti-politics, and people love listening to him, it's great. So um, yeah, people listen to him all the time. So yeah, Jesus had been uh, speaking, there was lots and lots of people, and it had gone quite late in the day. And uh, unfortunately, there was, no, uh, there was no Dunkin' Donuts stand, there was no fast food outlet, nothing like this. Um, and the people stupidly hadn't brought their picnic baskets or anything like that with them. So um, the disciples eventually came and said, Jesus, look, it's been a long day. You need to send these people away to go get food, okay? Because the, the, we're not gonna be able to provide for them. And instead, Jesus was like, no, I want them to stay here. I want them to, we're gonna provide for them. We are gonna give them food. So they said, gather up whatever we have, just gather it all together. And so uh, they gathered everything together and they had a grand total of five loaves of bread and two fish. Every, every, a lot of people know the. the this sort of side of the story, but yeah, five loaves and two fish. Um, and by presenting this to God and, and saying, look, we're going to feed these people, he broke that bread and, and spread out the fish, and they passed the food around amongst these 5,000 men and the women and the children and spread it all around. Um, and everyone was fed. Everyone was fed, everyone ate their food and, um, and was happy. And, but not only that, by the end of the meal, there was leftovers. But there were so many leftovers, they filled 12 baskets. So... Not only did they feed everyone, there was also an abundance of food, more food at the end of it than they'd even started with, which again, we have to take as a miracle. Now, I've, uh, I've often joked about this, that um, if, if those 5,000 men and the women and the children um, were all British, maybe uh, they were just being a bit selfish initially and they all had a little stash of food in with them. And it was only when the baskets came around to sort of share the food, it's like, actually, I've got, I've got a little bit, actually, I'll give, I'll give a little bit into the basket and whatnot. And maybe they were just very British about it. Um, I don't think that's what happened because uh, they weren't British and uh, that's not typically how people behaved. Um, but yeah, so, uh, and again, this was a, um, a miracle that came from a need, it came from a necessity, a sort of a real world implication. Um, and I guess the, the question I had was, um, how many times in magic do we do seemingly quite fruitless tricks? Like they seem pointless. I even uh, say at the start of, um, I do the cut and restored rope routine. I introduce it, so we do a famous trick in magic it's called the cut and restored rope routine. Uh, I'm going to uh, cut this rope exactly down the middle and then I'm gonna use magic to stick it back together. Which does beg the question, why bother? Uh, it's it's an old joke, but it's, but it's also a, a really good point. Like yeah. you can, and you can have a lot of humor with it and it can be entertaining for an audience. Um, but trying to make people care about why you're cutting a rope and then restoring it back together again, it's kind of difficult. Whereas telling a group of 5,000 plus people who are hungry, I'm going to feed you, I'm going to produce such a miraculous amount of food, it's incredible. And, and, and it's definitely, I think, more magical. It's harder, it's got a harder impact. It doesn't have a punchline, so comedy magicians won't like it so much. But it's, it's definitely uh, harder hitting, I think. 
Um, I think that, uh, or an example I came to think of, um, did you, uh, uh, Dave Anik, I know that you've had on the podcast. Yeah. Um, I don't know, did you get to see his show Actual Magic this year? Or yes. Not? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought, uh, I thought that, that broadly as a show um, was some of Dave's best work. I think yeah. he would agree with that as well. But also, um, everything in that show seemed to come from a, a point of reality, even though what he was doing was... Um, was sometimes a, a you know a crazy trick. It's you know it's magic. It's 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 seemingly crazy and and um, but it, it came from a, a real need or a desire or a, a what if a lot a lot of that show was asking the question you know what if I could really read minds what if I could really do this um, and just coming from that point of reality and it's so much better than a magician standing up and doing a six card repeat you know it it just, it just seems to come from a better place and I think that probably makes better magic for us all. That's that's just something I took away from. So when did he walk on water? Walk on water? Because I think that's my favourite one. You think that's your favourite one? Yeah. Interestingly. I might have forgot some of the some of the good ones. Some of the better ones. That's fine. Um, But walking on water, that's... I'd I'd almost... um, I didn't do a lot of research on that one. Yeah. Partly, I think, because uh, Dynamo did it so poorly uh, back in the day that uh, I've sort of blanked it out of my head. Obviously, Dynamo, yeah, famously um, walked on water across the Thames. uh, Although I think we can all acknowledge... He sort of did it in a, in a sort of haphazard way and then had to be rescued by police that weren't really repeat police. And yeah. um, but, again, uh, to, to Dynamo's credit, it's been a lot more successful than me. I'm, I'm not trying to badmouth him at yeah. all. Uh, it's a great stunt, great publicity stunt, and it did get people talking. He went around on a London bus with his hand like stuck to the bus yeah. for a while. Or something. Um, I love some of Dynamo's stunts, I'm not, not taking away from that. But if we're, if we're going to a realistic walking on water. If Dynamo had literally just started walking across foot the Thames and like went straight across the river and people were able to witness it, oh man, that's a, that's a great trick and, and would be literally miraculous. Walking a few feet out and then having to be rescued by a police kayak that happened to be there and just... There was a weird kayak, wasn't there, that went yeah, through it? it just straight. Have you seen Chris Angel's one? I haven't. No. So he walks across a swimming pool mm. and... Um, when he does it, people swim underneath him. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, I'll, I'll make this as a, a broad comment. Because I, 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 every time I've been on the podcast, I've tried not to give away any methods or, or talk about that. Something. I appreciate a lot of magicians listening. But um, uh, I will just say broadly, sometimes magicians try way too hard to try and yeah. disprove methods and thinking. Uh, when cl- I mean, what does having people swim underneath you prove i mean you're still you're not actually walking on the water are you like this i i I love um but it was kind of yeah and i guess part of it maybe is you know i don't know like i'm sure the reason chris angel got the guy the woman to swim under was to prove that he's not walking on something but part of me hopes that they were just in a meeting he was like how can we get another girl in a bikini (laughs) (laughs) no that's yeah, I, I don't want to be uh, I don't want to be sued here by Chris Angel, but it does sound like Chris Angel. Yes, yeah. Um, fair. Um, so when did Jesus uh, walk on water? Um, if I so now I'm going without notes, I'm having to. Oh, I'm, I'm researching Goodness. anything. Yeah. Um, if I remember rightly, uh, this was um, he. Uh, the, the disciples were out on a boat, I believe, and um, uh, Jesus basically came from the shore out to to meet them, and that's when he was walking on the water, and he. Uh, got one of his disciples to 
uh, to trust him enough to come and join him out on the water, effectively. And then I think they did, they had a little Kaylee or did a little dance or something, I can't remember. Uh, just, um, that's blasphemy, I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, yeah, so, uh, and that happened... Ooh. Yeah, I'd be, I'd, I'd be lying if I, I could tell you the exact timing yeah. of it, of where it came. Obviously it was before things like The Last Supper and, and um, The Crucifixion, and yeah. obviously before that end point, but definitely midway through his time with the disciples touring around country is just I, don't know, I didn't even make notes on that so I guess this 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 could be classed as one of the first you know performing tours this yeah. is just you know had a, had a uh, support group with him and everything it was just great so what are some of the other miracles then that, that maybe ones that we know about maybe ones that we don't know about? sure so I'm gonna um, do a, a broad package here and talk about healing because a lot of Jesus miracles was about healing um, but one of the interesting things that uh, I think is worth mentioning is that he always did it in a different way so sometimes, um, sometimes uh, Jesus would just call out to people, like um, uh, the famous story of the paralysed man, he would say, get up and walk, and then the guy would just get up. He'd been paralysed since he was born, but he would get up, he would walk, his legs were working, and he'd be able to do that. Um, but other times he would use um, seemingly quite practical methods. So um, uh, he would, uh, the, there was a blind man, and to heal the blind man, he spit into some mud, placed the, the mud and, and sort of spittle combination onto his eyes and then said, you'll never be able to see. And, and clearing the mud away, obviously not with the mud still on his face, had to clear the mud off. Um, and then and then the man was able to see. Um, and so one of the things I, I took away from all these was that um, he always used seemingly different, uh, different methods or different uh, sort of presentation. If he was a magician, it would be a different presentation or a different angle on things. Um, he certainly never... Um, it, you know, he didn't always, he didn't always use, uh, it'd be like a magician always uh, forcing a card, you know, and yeah. always, always using a, a riffle force or something like that. Um, and no matter what you're doing with a card trick after that, or what you're trying to present, or what you're trying to do, you're always doing this one little manoeuvre at the start to, to make the trick work. And actually, um, yeah, as magicians, we should vary things up and make them apply and make them sort of relevant. Um, good example that's just sprung to mind, I love that... Uh, Chris Cox, mind reader, tours in the Illusionist shows over on Broadway at the minute with uh, Paul DeBeck. Got to get his name in every episode, right? He got mentioned almost every week, and then when he didn't get mentioned, he, he texts me. Did he? <laughs> why, why aren't I being mentioned anymore? Well, I'll make so, sure to squeeze him in, even though I'm not talking about him, but just, you know. DeBeck will be. Um, he's having fun at Christmas time, isn't he? He's out on Broadway. It's yeah. Great. Um, but yeah, Chris Cox uh, uses all sorts of different methods. So uh, the one that springs to mind is the. Um, uh, that he, he gets someone to, to drink some water, uh, swill the water out in their mouth and then spit it back out in the bottle and then he goes and, and drinks that water as well and, um, and and he uses that to sort of read their minds. And it's a, yeah, it's just a different slant, a different angle, but it's also, it's also kind of logical uh, that, oh, well, you know, you've got to, I, I don't think a lot of people these days believe pure mind reading that you can just that I can just pluck thoughts out of your head but what they do believe and what they do go for is the likes of um, Darren using uh, facial expressions micro expressions ticks that sort of thing um, the way that you're holding the way that you're standing or not um, Chris goes in a different direction with that but things like yeah why, why wouldn't you be able to pick up on things you could certainly pick up on you know what they've been eating that day and that might sort of give you an idea of, of where they've been and what they've done that thing um, uh, Colin Cloud uh, does at least one routine where um, he tries and gauges uh, a person's work and what they do from their, their hands. He might lick their hands in order to gauge like what they'd eaten that day again and, and that's something. So it's just the idea of, of um, trying to take our presentations and, and apply it to uh, to those situations and don't always make it a 
if it's always a pick a card trick, don't make it feel like a pick a card trick. Um, would be would be my thing. Um, on a on a weird side note, I, I was thinking if um, if a stage magician was presenting the power the healing of the paralyzed man as a trick, just as soon as it came up in my head, I thought this would be a terrible trick. It would be a terrible trick because I'm, I'm imagining like your stagehands would wheel out a little platform and be a man lying down, and you as a magician would go. This man has been paralysed since birth. And the audience would go, well, how do we know that? It had to be someone super famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, he doesn't look paralysed. Like, just, he just looks like he's sitting down. It, like, it's, it's very hard to, to gauge that. And then literally as the magician, you just go, walk. And the man would stand up and walk away. And the audience would go, well, we don't believe anything magical happened here. That seems very dubious. Um, but the point in the, the story with Jesus is that this paralysed man was known to the community. He was known, and again... A lot of what Jesus did, I think, feels more like a street magic special, like a David Blaine, like a Dynamo, than it does a stage magic or a, you know, or a comedy club or anything like that. Um, it's very much real. It's out there in people. But um, I would argue Jesus's don't feel quite as forced on a, a, a weird, fake environment. Um, that, would be, that would be my point. But yeah, the, the fact that people knew this paralyzed man, they'd grown up with him, they knew his history and stuff. Either that, or Jesus was playing a very long game with yeah. his volunteers, right? And just being like, "Oh, let's just let's just keep this this guy. This is like this is beyond, like prestige and beyond kind of thinking of like, oh, let's keep this a secret forever until just this one day. This one day, for a gig that I'm not even getting paid for. Just this one day, we're gonna we're gonna make this. But whoever might be in the square, that yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's oh, that's that's long game stuff. That is, that's just he, yeah. He was thinking very far ahead. Um, yeah, so, that's, so healing is a nice broad one. And then um, you want to talk about other miracles as well. Um, there's a few random ones in there. And again, if you, if you Google the full list, there's a few uh, fun, interesting ones. Uh, I want to pick up on one. Um, there's one where Jesus, uh, Jesus at, uh, meets up with some taxmen. Uh, and the taxmen uh, talking to Jesus and his disciples is like, do you pay your taxes? And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, we, we pay our taxes. Um, and they get into sort of talking and a, 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 an altercation, not, not a physical one, but... Um, uh, and Jesus basically tells the taxmen to go cast their nets out, go catch a fish. Uh, and the fish that you catch will have a coin inside and that will pay for me and my disciples taxes. So they do, they go cast their net, there's a fish there and inside the fish is uh, a coin. Um, I think it was four, uh, I'm going to get it wrong and say denarii or something. something. But it paid for them and their disciples taxes and they, were, they left vaguely happy if not bemused. Um, but it made me think that that really... That sort of story is one of the first examples and, and surely must have inspired the fascination with magicians of um, object to impossible location. So, um, so many people on, on the street, for example, you know, uh, I work in Covent Garden, as you know, you, you do some street shows there as well. Um, a lot of people there do um, a, uh, a banknote in fruit, they do a banknote in lemon, uh, you do a bill in banana as part of your show. Um, so yeah, it's that, it's that object to impossible location. Um, but also the, uh, Penn and Teller, I think, directly must have been influenced by this. Now I know uh, Penn Gillette for one is um, quite an adamant atheist, he's written books about it and whatnot. Um, that doesn't stop him doing material about Christianity and about the church, he certainly likes it as inspiration sometimes and, and uh, there's some good stories in there. And they've certainly done this one on TV a lot and I think they did it live for a while, um, but there's a, a famous one where they manage to take a person's phone and it magically appears inside a fish that's in an ice box that's under the seat of someone far, far away. And surely someone's phone inside a fish, I mean, there's a, there's a direct parallel here to this Jesus story. So I, I suspect Penn possibly came across this miracle as an idea and then and, and used it. But I, I think it's a big inspiration to 
a lot of, no matter what people might say, and they go, oh, no, but I'm inspired by this person, this person. Yeah, but if you go back to magicians 500 years ago, the Bible was like one of the first books that was out there and that people could reference. So I think people had got to get their ideas from that. It's in, I, had, I didn't know that story, sure. uh, and it's quite interesting because I'm playing Red Dead Redemption 2 okay. at the minute, which is a Western open-world PlayStation game, and I'm part of this sort of band of outlaws. And in amongst our band of outlaws, we have this Austrian man that lends people money. Okay. And uh, I have to go and collect the debts right. from these people. And I went to, and I found this man who owed us money, and he didn't have the money when I got to him, but he told us that he knew where there was a cougar. So me and the man went and hunted a cougar, skinned it, and then we sold the cougar fur right. for his debt. Interesting. It's the same story, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah. How interesting. Um, Red Dead Redemption 2, is that, uh, is that a Rockstar game? Yeah. Same people as GTA. Yeah, it's like GTA, but in yeah. the West. Because I've... Um, I've not been a gamer for, for years. I don't think I talked about this on our old podcast, but um, I used to be a gamer until I discovered juggling properly at about 15. I think I learned about 13, but 15 I started training about two hours a day. I basically gave up on gaming pretty much straight away. But at the point where I gave up my PlayStation 2 at the time, and everything, I owned every Grand Theft Auto game in existence. And I did enjoy them. Like the, the, the big open plan games like that are really fascinating. And the, oh, you can spend so much time on that. This one sounds pretty good. So it's a, it's a western. It's basically a western-themed Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, style. pretty much. And you can go to a little theatre, and there's a guy that does the bullet catch. You've posted this on Facebook, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I go quite often. <laughs> <laughs> and you can sit there, and you can choose to heckle or cheer. That's really fun. It's ridiculous that like you can do so much cool stuff. And you know, on the previous one, you could go across the border into Mexico and steal Mexican women and tie them to the train tracks. I remember, uh, and I hope there's no one that, that'll take offence to this on the, uh, listening to the podcast, but um, I remember when I was first looking at universities, um, so I, I grew up in Boston and Lincolnshire in the East Midlands, and uh, Lincoln University is technically one of, uh, like, our physically closest university. Um, but it wasn't very high up in the, the rankings, and it, it didn't sort of appear. But one of the courses that Lincoln was at the forefront for was uh, video game design. But back then, I mean, you're talking... Oh, 12 years ago now, when I was starting to look at universities, so, so I was... Maybe a year or two before that, even when I was, I was starting to look, um, 13, 14 years ago, and you think, oh, you know, Lincoln's sort of low down in the rankings, but video game design, maybe that's why it's low in the rankings, because it, it does silly courses like video games design. And, uh, well, more for me, because uh, it, it's such a massive industry now, and people people are incredibly talented and doing some great work in there. And um, Lincoln was clearly a lot smarter than most other universities. Yeah, that's yeah. sort of weird. So I think you might cut that out of the podcast. Who no, knows? I'm going to leave it in. Why not? And um, you mentioned, we've mentioned quite a lot then just organically magicians that have been inspired by these miracles yep. of Jesus and, uh, you know, more recently the Penn and Teller. Uh, what other kind of examples, I suppose, are there then of magicians that have obviously taken a plot inspired by... Uh, sure. Uh, I mean, I think... Um, I mean, some people know or a little bit or, or vaguely aware of uh, the idea of gospel magic so um, Christians that want to use magic to, um, to to present the gospel story and, or to present moral teachings and that sort of thing um, I've done a little bit of that in the, the past I, I think there's um, there's two ways you can tackle gospel magic as well you can either be uh, very deliberate and, and choose a routine that through the course of the routine you are telling the story for example I've done um, I've done the cut and restored rope before now and talked about the cutting of the rope being um, 
people's sin, people, you know, breaking the uh, the connection between God and us as humanity and having to fix that back together again and, and that being through Jesus. Um, you can come up with loads of parallels on this, there's books on this and other something. Um, more so though, I, a lot of churches when they do book me, and they should book me, um, they, uh, they often book me for an evening of entertainment. So I'll present my, my standard show, it will be the same as if I was performing for a secular audience, but then as part of the evening I would then break away from that and maybe talk about my story and, and how I got into doing what I'm doing, but also how my, my faith and my, my belief in God uh, translates to that, how, how it sort of channels what I'm doing. Um, and, and yeah, and why, why it works for me, basically, because that's, that's ultimately what it boils down to. It works for me, I, I, I like it, uh, it works for me. So, um, yeah, and I, I definitely prefer that latter side of things. I think um, some, sometimes, there's some really great gospel magic out there, some really great presentations, I love it. Um, but sometimes it can just feel like you're crowbarring a message into a magic trick. If, if you come at it from, I want to present this magic trick, and I'm going to crowbar a Christian story into it, it's painful, it's wrong, and it's not it's not serving you from a church perspective, and it's not serving your magic any good, I don't think. If, however, you go and um, say you're a vicar out there, I know some vicars that like using magic tricks occasionally to illustrate, if you've got a story out there and you think, oh, I remember this magic trick from years and years ago, I've not done it in a while, um, but it would just tell this story really well, it's just a really easy, nice symbolism, then maybe that can work, and that can work really well. And some people have whole ministries around that which is great. Um, in terms of uh, famous magicians, I mean, um, magicians have always dabbled and sort of danced around the edge of um, dealing with re religion. I mean, very few of them bring it into their work so so much to the fore. I mean, um, we mentioned just before the podcast went down, but Barry and Stuart um, famously did a, a, a programme on um, the, what was it, the Magic of the Bible, I think, rather Tricks than Jesus. From Tricks from the Bible. Tricks from the Bible, that's it. Um, which is a great program, I'd, I'd highly recommend it. And they sort of did their adaptations, their sort of versions of that. Um, I don't remember if it was in that or if it's another program that I can't remember, but in, in recent years, someone did a, a sort of feeding the 5,000 idea where in a football stadium, it was, it was them, yeah. Was it then? Was yeah. it then as part of the, that program? I believe it was at the Majeski Stadium, which is where Reading played. How <laughs> oh, exciting. Well, I've seen time um, to lose. Um, Here's the thing, though, in order to make their version work, so every person in the audience was provided with a, a basket that they were able to um, flip one lid open and show it as being empty. When they shut the lid and they opened it up again, it was shown as full and it had food and they could all eat the food. Um, some, some subtle minor differences there between that and the Jesus story. Things like, uh, I'm pretty sure every person lifting that basket uh, knew full well that there was stuff inside even though they were showing it empty uh, would be would be my but for TV it's a great it's a great purpose and it's still a good trick right? it's still a good magic trick don't get me wrong um, but um, yeah obviously not a bit like my turning water into wine or wheat cribina in my case uh, yeah we can do sort of weakened versions of, of what the Bible teaches um, in terms of uh, other magicians that have, have gone away and, and uh, try to be inspired. I think I think a, a lot have to a greater or lesser extent. I mean, we can we can come on. Um, do you mind if I, I carry on to talk about the the death and yeah, that's right. Obviously, yeah, yeah. so so big part of the Jesus story obviously is um, is being crucified, died, and then three days later uh, he, was, he was buried and then he rose again. Um, is a, a part of the story, and I think that as a plot line has been used. It's used so much in literature, for example. I mean. Um, uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, written by C.S. Lewis, who was a Christian, and, and um, the character of Aslan is very much a sort of Jesus-type character. But then um, 
J.K. Rowling, I mean, the, the Harry Potter story, he definitely has to die and then come back to life in order to save the world, and I'm one of Harry Potter fans are going to beat me up over that, I'm sure they're going to come at me. Um, I'm just making loads of enemies on this podcast, it's great. Um, That's why you're going to have to leave the country. Probably, yeah. Oh, good job I am, there we go. Um, yeah, no one in Australia listens to podcasts anyway, do they? It's fine. No, it's fine. Um, yeah, so, uh, but also I think um, just that whole idea of a, a danger element with magicians, that um, the idea that you could be uh, risking your life. And a lot of magicians let tricks seemingly go wrong. Um, certainly when they're doing like big dangerous escapes, they'll make it look as if they, they have gone wrong and then reveal you know, that they're at the back of the auditorium. It's like, no, it's all fine, it's all great. And that, that does all come from the Jesus story, really, of, of dying and then coming back to life. And I think, I think everyone always loves that as a plot line. Um, one, one of my... Uh, Favourite examples, I mean, uh, Paul Daniels used to end his shows often with a, some form of dangerous escape like this. Um, one of the ones I, I remember hearing about, he did a Halloween special one time where um, there was a, a big sort of uh, slamming door type scenario with spikes on and everything, and he had to escape. Having been chained up from the door frame, he sort of had to escape from this before the spikes came in and killed him. And uh, obviously it was rehearsed and everything, and he would break through the, the paper covering that meant people couldn't see exactly what he was doing to escape. He'd sort of jump through that just before the doors shut and it would all be great. Uh, and what Paul didn't tell most of the people around him, just one or two immediate members of his team, so uh, I think Debbie, his, his wife knew, and I think one or two others, they'd actually rehearsed it a slightly different way. And Paul escaped in a secretive way that didn't involve him having to cut them out through the paper. And it meant that when they did it on, uh, on live TV as well, um, the, uh, the doors slammed shut before Paul seemingly escaped. And all the camera crew and all the team were just in shock, and just and the uh, the crew upstairs didn't know what was going on, so they just went straight to credits, straight to credits, and they just it was going to be the end of the show anyway, and they, they cut the credits. Uh, I think Paul's original plan was to reveal a few days later, maybe through the papers or through the thing, that uh, that he was fine, that he was alive and well. Uh, trouble is the uh, the switchboards all lit up with telephone calls, people thinking that the great Paul Daniels had died, you know, this national treasure and everything. Um, and so I believe they had to create a little 30 second gap between a program later on in the, the schedule. So if this was on sort of seven to eight, I think sort of nine, 10 p.m., uh, he had to go back on live and just do a quick 30 seconds to be like, hi, British public, I'm actually fine, it's all good. Please stop calling. Um, it, yeah, I'm, I'm alive, and we'll be back at the Paul Daniels Magic Show next time around, and, and it's great because people were generally, genuinely petrified. But I love the the chutzpah of Paul to um, to leave it a long time. And actually, some of the, some of the old time greats, like the escape artists, like uh, Harry Houdini, um, they they knew to leave it a long time. Harry Harry Houdini would. Um, would go into a big wooden box and escape from straight jackets and stuff. And we now know as magicians that it, it took him like two or three minutes to escape, but he would sit in there for 45 minutes and read a newspaper and let the orchestra play and build up the, uh, the, the sort of to the crescendo and then boom, fine, uh, escape. Um, and they were so much more impressed by it because it seemed like it took so much more effort. Um, and um, yeah, and today, I, I, um, not that it's a, a bad thing, I suppose, but I think people's attention spans are so much shorter that you have to you have to do your escapes in like two minutes, otherwise no one really cares, and um, which yeah is a shame. Um, I'd I'd love to see someone do a real theatrical escape that takes a long while, and and um, yeah that sort of relief that you get at the end. And I think it all it, and again people may choose to argue with me. You can you can contact me online if you want, but uh, I think it all stems from the idea of the Jesus story, the idea of of dying and then coming back to life. And I think people love that as a plotline.
So some of the miracles of Jesus yep. for us there, his life and times. Um, but what I'm kind of interested, I suppose, just to kind of wrap things up, um, was Jesus the only mystical person, for want of a better term, in the Bible? Or is there some other kind of, um, you know, famous sort of uh, cases of miracles relating to other people? Well, I'm currently deciding whether to take offence at the word mystical person. Um, no, I get, but I get what you mean. Um, no, definitely uh, the Bible talks about um, God and the, the power of God uh, working through lots of other people throughout the Bible. The, the, um, I think... Um, I'd, I'd go so... Well, would I go so far as to say... No, I don't, I don't think the, Jesus was the only one that, that did miracles as such. I mean, you go back to... Um, a lot of people know the story of, of St. Moses, and um, or, or know bits of the story, and things like the uh, the parting of the, the waters um, was definitely a, a miracle. Now, obviously, um, we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't class Moses himself as the, the sort of mystical person, but he's, um, he's calling on the power of God to, to make that happen. I guess that's what the, the Bible would teach. Um, yeah, there's, there's plenty of stuff. I mean, there's plenty of weird stuff in the Bible as well. If, um, if listeners want uh, a real fun Friday night activity, go read the book of Revelations at the very end of the Bible. Some fun stuff in there. There's the story of the woman and the dragon, which I was surprised when I saw it in the Bible as well. It's a, it's a fascinating story. Um, so yeah, there's lots of uh, other strange mystical stuff throughout the Bible and, and interesting, you know, angels appear, for example. I mean, we'd, even before Jesus was born, you know, there's, there's lots of um, mystical, magical stuff around that. You know, an angel appears to Mary and um, angels appear to uh, to the shepherds and the kings and, and um, yeah, there's pl plenty of mystical story in there. The, 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 pe people put it down because um, either they're not, they're not interested in Christianity or in the religion or whatnot, and that's that's fine. Um, it's still, a, even if you're a non-believer, it's a fascinating text, and you can't get away from the fact that it does teach us a lot about the history of the time. Like, still one of the best history references for that point in town for, for, for pre-Jesus and also for, for around Jesus' time. Um, it teaches so much about life back then and, and what people did and how they lived and what um, So pe people that put down the Bible completely as a whole load of fiction or don't want to touch it, wanna, I, I think you're ignoring some real his like historical importance there. Uh, whether or not you choose to believe everything within it, well, that's, that's up to you. Where can people find out more about you, Mark? But we might, uh, UK listeners might have to go on a, a bit of a, a quest might have to, to find, find you. Yeah, so uh, some people may know that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm planning to move over to Australia in January. Um, yeah, well, they can, uh, they can find me online in all the usual places. So on Facebook, uh, Instagram, you can find me at Man of Mischief. On Twitter, I'm at Man of Mischief underscore, just because somebody got Man of Mischief 10 years ago and then didn't tweet anything and Twitter won't give it to me, it's annoying. Although to be fair, uh, Twitter Twitter I find is a bit dead compared to the other social medias anyway. I like going on there and looking at it, but um, I, yeah, most of my stuff is through Instagram, Facebook, uh, people like pictures and videos and things, so. Uh, yeah, you can find me on there. If, uh, if anyone wants to talk about any things we've discussed here today, um, I wouldn't normally put this at the end of a podcast, but I appreciate some of it can be a bit of a sensitive topic and things. Uh, feel free to, to find me on Facebook and, and send me a message and, you know, I, uh, I need friends. So, um, yeah, but no, and come the move to Australia, um, yeah, I'm going to be based over there, but you can see me at the Adelaide Fringe in February and March. We're going to be doing street shows over there. Um, and fingers crossed I should be back at the Edinburgh Fringe next year with a whole range of shows, doing uh, street shows, doing uh, my own brand new indoor show, which more information to come, uh, and another new fantastic project uh, for me, which I'm not going to announce just yet, but uh, yeah, look out for that. So yeah, you can find me online in all the usual places.
Lovely. Cheers, Mark, and Merry Christmas. Merry and Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. Thank you for listening to Talking Tricks with Cade and Abel. Please rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. <laughs>